Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Good morning. Welcome to Real Life. I'm Jim. If you're here for the first time, it's good to be with you. Here uh, at Real Life, uh, we are we're here for the purpose of gathering around our God who walked the earth as Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago and who lives right now in our lives and our hearts in this room today. We gather to celebrate that God. We gather to thank that God. We, we gather to, to talk to that God. And so, so that's what we're doing here today. And I want to talk a little bit about what, it, what it's like to live in a world that's made by God, in which, in which God is watching over us, and yet sometimes we get a little bit disoriented. Sometimes we get a little bit lost in this world. Uh, and if you are a kind of person who looks out at the world and doesn't trust that God is in control of it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and I want to see if that's you or not. We're going to start out with a little survey this morning. So get out your, your phones. If you've downloaded the Real Life app, we're going to take a little survey as we've done here uh, sometimes uh, on Sunday mornings before. Or if you're at home watching uh, online, you can do this as well. Pull out your Real Life app, open it up. It's the little blue app with a cross on it. And down across the bottom, you'll see there's some buttons. And one of the buttons says messages. And if you click on that, you'll see that this morning we sent out a, a survey that says, how trusting of a person are you? How trusting are you as a person? And the four different choices on there. So you can log in there. Yeah, I'm very trusting, sort of, not, not much at all, or absolutely zero, right? And you can, oh, people are already doing it. It's also kind of fun to watch in real time, watch little bars go up and down. Uh, but you can go ahead and uh, uh, check in there uh, and tell me how trusting you are. In just a minute, I'll show you on the screens uh, in real time what the results are, okay? You can already see about how trusting first service was because they've already, they've already checked in there. So see if you change that. Um, Here's why, here's why I want to talk about this. Uh, we're uh, we're in, in Thanksgiving week right now. And, and if you've been here for a year, you know that we started this year with a series on thankfulness. We talked about what thankfulness is and how, how to be thankful and how, how God intends us to be thankful. And I've told you that if you're going to be happy in this life, thankfulness is the, the route to happiness. The only happy people in this world are people who are thankful. And this is one in which the neuroscientists and the mystics agree. All of them will tell you that thankfulness is a key to happiness. Uh, and, and I want to talk to you about, about thankfulness, especially in this week of Thanksgiving. Because sometimes we get disoriented. We, we get disoriented where we forget that we can be thankful. Or we forget how to be thankful. And it's kind of like a, a physical kind of disorientation called vertigo. If any of you ever had vertigo, vertigo is terrible. I had it once. It's, you, you're just dizzy all the time, and you can't make the world set right. It's like you have a, a fever, but you're not sick. Everything just keeps spinning. And sometimes it can last for days. It can make it so you can't drive, sometimes can't walk. It's this terrible experience. Uh, and it's, they, scientists now know what causes it. Your, your ears are actually responsible for balance. Your ears are what cause balance in your body. And when you get vertigo, there's this little microscopic crystal called an uh, uh, autoconian crystal, which gets loose in a tube in your ear where it's not supposed to be. Uh, 
And so it makes you think that your body's spinning when it's not. That's what causes this. And there's this new technique that doctors have developed to help cure vertigo. I'm going to tell you what that is. But I'm going to tell you on, on this condition, you've got to understand I'm not a doctor. This is not medical advice of any kind. But I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. I don't even know what that means. But anyway, they've, they've come up with this maneuver called the Epley Maneuver where, you, uh, where you, you, you tilt your head at 90 degrees, or no, 45 degrees, and you lean back, you lie down like that, and what happens is your head will start spinning when you do this if you have vertigo. It's really a terrible thing. But what's happening is they're moving the crystal along the tube in your ear. And then they say, and then you turn, you wait about a minute, and then you turn your head 90 degrees this way, and that causes the crystal to move further along the tube in this direction. And then you roll a little bit, and so you tilt further. You can watch a YouTube video on this. And then, uh, and then the crystal moves around until eventually, then you stand up, and it, and it goes out the other side. And within 24 hours, the vertigo's gone. Now, that actually worked for me. I'm not giving you medical advice. Go ask your doctor what to do. I'm telling you that worked for me. Uh, and I promise you this is going somewhere. Not always, right? Sometimes on Sunday mornings, I didn't go anywhere. But today, it's going somewhere. Uh, you can get a kind of vertigo because something in your body gets, gets out of place and tells you that the world is, differently, is different than it really is. It makes you perceive the world differently than it really is. It makes you think things are spinning when they're not, and that makes you dizzy. Well, I assure you, there is a kind of spiritual vertigo we can experience in this world. There's this kind of spiritual vertigo you experience where you think the world is out of control and spinning when in fact, and in fact it's still in the hands of God. It's still in God's hands. But you stop perceiving that and you become distrustful. And when you become distrustful, when you think maybe God's not in control, maybe God's not, not there, or maybe God doesn't care that much. Or maybe God is mad at me. When you start to think those kinds of thoughts, everything spins. And it stops you from being thankful, which stops you from being happy. And instead, you turn and you try to, to grab hold of whatever you can in this world because you feel like the world's going to rip me off. God's not going to take care of me. I better get what I can. And we, have, we really have a, a choice in this life. You can be thankful or you can be a thief. Those tend to be the ways that we go. You can either know that God is there for you, that God provides you and cares for you, or you can feel like this world's going to rip you off. And you end, up, you end up taking things back if that's how you live. Well, let's see what kind of person you are. Let's, uh, let's look at this survey and see how we're doing. Uh, see uh, if you've checked in here. Oh, good. Quite a few of you. Oh, yeah, quite a few. It's like doubled. Good. Okay. Uh, look up here. We got them on the... There we go on the screen. So... Most of us are mostly trusting. That's how we are. Most of us are about 20% either side, and then a few of us very, very distrustful. And, right? and that's okay. Sometimes the world does that to you. Uh, but, but what happens is we, we, get, we get disoriented. And, and just like this, this Epley maneuver that, that straightens out vertigo, there's a spiritual exercise that you can do that will help reorient the world, that will help re orient your perception of the world so that things sit right again. So if you're in that place where you have trouble being thankful, where you're afraid that maybe God's not in control or not on your side, where you're afraid that the world's going to rip you off, there's a spiritual exercise I want you to go through. I do this every single morning now, uh, and it's probably the best discipline I've ever put in my life, probably the best practice I've ever put in my life. And I don't stand up here right away and tell you tell you new things I just started this week. You ever talk to somebody and they're like, oh, I'm, I, I'm in this, this exercise routine and it's great. And you're like, oh, that's great. You look great, wonderful. 
When, when did you start? I was like, well, yesterday. Well, actually, I'm going to start tomorrow, but it's great. You know, I'm, I don't give you advice that I haven't tried out for a while first. This is a discipline I started a while ago, and it's one of the best things I've ever put in place in my life. Every morning, I try to set the world straight. I, I try to remind myself of how the world really is, because my perception can get disoriented. My perception can get fuzzy. Every morning, I remind myself of four things. I remind myself, number one, God made the world and God made me. And that's important. I was made by an engineer and an artist who is compassionate. Starting the day on that note is the best way to start the day. God made the world and God made me. Secondly, secondly, God is in control of the world and I am not. And those two things are of equal importance, right? It's easy enough to say, I sure God's in control of the world, but that means you have to let go. God is in control of the world and that's a good thing and I'm not. And that's a good thing too. Thirdly, that God who made me, that God who's in control of the world is absolutely, recklessly, totally, wholeheartedly on my side. Absolutely overwhelmed with love and compassion for me. Not holding things over my head, not disappointed in me, not waiting to get back at me. None of those things. And if you live in a fear of a God like that, that's not the God who's in the scriptures. That's not the God who walked the earth. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus is absolutely, recklessly, unrelentingly on your side. And any other good adjectives you can put in that sentence. God is totally and absolutely on your side. Remind yourself of that every single morning. And I tell you, you, you may think this is silly. You may think it's just a routine. When you are a middle-aged man brushing your teeth in the morning and crying because you know how much God loves you, like that's gotten deep. Right? <laughs> that's just sad, but that's gotten deep, right? Every morning I remind myself of these things. And then fourthly, then I plan the day. Then I say, okay, Jesus, it's your day. Here's who I'm planning on meeting with the, uh, today. Tell me what you want in these different encounters. Or if, if I plan the wrong thing, tell me how to set it right. What do you want from the day? And I do that every single morning. And that helps set the world right. It reminds me of the things that are most fundamentally true. Uh, you can do the same thing at the end of the day. There was a Catholic mystic in the 16th century named Ignatius of Loyola. And Ignatius came up with a prayer that he taught people to do at the end of the day called the Prayer of Examine. And there are slightly different versions of this floating around out there. But roughly, he said, you need to think through about five things. You need to think through a few things at the end of the day. At the end of the day, stop and be at rest and remind yourself of God's presence with you. Not that God started the universe a long time ago and then checked out, but that God is right there with you right now. Every single day at this moment, right now, as you and I worship together, as you and I listen together, Jesus is right here in this room with us. Start with the presence of God. And then look over the day and give thanks. Give thanks that God made you. Give thanks that God is with you. Give thanks for all that God has given you. Give thanks. And then think over the day. Think through what God was doing in your day. What did God intend for your day? And if there's any place during the day where you wandered away from Jesus, where you know you did something you shouldn't have done, or you just turned your attention off of him, ask for forgiveness. And then, prayerfully, plan tomorrow with Jesus. And that's the right way to orient the end of the day. It's so easy to get disoriented in this, in this world. There's so much that distracts us, that throws us off. That we, that we get lost. It seems like the world is spinning. It seems like it's out of control. And when, when it seems like that, it's hard to be thankful we no longer have thankful hearts and we no longer have thankful lives. And instead, we turn to thieving. We take things from the world and we, uh, we take advantage of people around us because we think that's all I can do, that's all I have. Spend every day in the morning and the evening, at least, reorienting yourself, setting things right. I want to look at a passage from the scriptures today that's really, it's really about thankfulness. Uh, and it comes from a, a, a 
prophet, one of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, the prophets were people who heard directly from God and then told the world what God was saying. And this is one of the, the Hebrew prophets. If you don't know the Bible, if you've never read it before or it's new to you, the, the Bible's roughly two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is everything before Jesus and the New Testament is Jesus and then the first century. And so in the, in the Old Testament, there are these, these prophets. There's a bunch of them. And so you'll have all these books named after the guy who, who gave the, the, the speeches or, or wrote them down. And the last one in the Old Testament is uh, an Italian prophet, Malachi. So go ahead and open a... It's Malachi. If you're a Hebrew scholar, it's Malachi. Open to Malachi chapter 3, and we're going to read from the prophet Malachi uh, chapter 3. This is, a, this is actually a passage about thankfulness, and it's fascinating what happens here, because God is speaking to Malachi and telling him what to say to the people. And uh, God is about to put the people on trial. They've become so disoriented. They've become so lost that God's going to put them on trial. Uh, As we go to the text together, let's take a minute and pray. Father, I ask that by your spirit, you would open our hearts and our minds to your word and to your will. Change our hearts that are fearful and dizzy and set them right. Remind us of who you are. Remind us that you're here. Remind us of how much you love us. And may we live lives of thankfulness and compassion because of you. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, this is from Malachi chapter 3 at verse 5. Follow along and listen to the word of God. So I will come to put you on trial. This is God speaking to the people. I will come to put you on trial. And this is a a repeated motif in the Old Testament where God puts the people on trial. And just like a a trial case, what happens is is God serves kind of like a lawyer. And he asks the people a question. And then they try to answer it or defend themselves. And then he asks them another question. And they try to defend themselves. And they have this argument back and forth. And so Malachi now is going to report this, this court case between God and the people. I'm going to put you on trial. And here's, now here are the charges. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, right? People who work witchcraft and magic and things, adulterers and perjurers against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord. Now this is fascinating. God puts them on trial, and he says, here are the charges. Some of you are practicing witchcraft. You've turned to other gods. You're into all kinds of weird things. That you've totally turned away from me. You're on trial. Some of you are adulterers and perjurers. You've cheated and you've lied. You're on trial. And then look at where he goes from there. And some of you are underpaying your employees. That's not, the, that's not the list that most kind of moralistic American Christians walk around thinking. But, but that's right where God goes, right? You, you're, you're taking advantage of the people who work for you, and you're taking advantage of foreigners who live among you who aren't entitled to the same justice system you are. Because you could. And certainly in the, in the ancient world, where there were, laws were even more lax, where there was less enforcement of the laws, if there was a foreigner living among you and people were, were prejudiced against them, you could take advantage of them. Look at the heart of God in this passage. I hold alongside people who cheat and people who lie and people who turn to other gods. I hold alongside those people who take advantage of foreigners because you can. I hold alongside of those people who oppress widows and the poor, people who take advantage of people who are at a loss. I hold them in the same place as people who cheat and lie. Be very careful, Christians. If you ever let the words come out of your mouth, it's not my problem. 
If you look at people in another country and you see their poverty and you see their suffering and you say, it's not my problem, be very careful. Look at the heart of God when you say this. I've heard this come out of the mouths of Christians. They look and they say, well, it's on the other side of this border or that border. It's not my problem. It's not my problem is the John 3.16 of whatever Bible they use in hell. That's a good line. You should write that down. No, wait, let's be serious again. No, 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 but seriously, that's the heart of God. You don't get to say that about other people. The suffering of other people is your problem. You don't get to write them off. And God says, now, I, I hold you responsible for this. You're on trial. Let's see how they answer. This is how the court cases work in the Hebrew scriptures. God will bring a charge, and then they'll, they'll answer back. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, that's just another word for God's people. The descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. Now, those two sentences are weird together, right? I don't change, so you're not destroyed. Hold on to that for just a sec. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. I don't change, so you, my people, are not destroyed. You ever, you ever read the Bible and you see things like that? You come to a couple sentences that just don't make sense, and you think to yourself, I'm just going to keep reading. I need to check off that I did my Bible reading for the day. I'm just going to get done with this chapter. And so you skip over it, and that just kind of disappears into history because you had no idea what that meant. Pause a minute on this one. This is great. This is absolutely a great line. I don't change, so you're not destroyed. Now, when you first read that, you might think, I don't know what that means. But if you're a dad and you have a son who is a middle school student, you absolutely know what this means. I don't change, so you're not destroyed, right? This is how this is going down. God is this loving father who created us. He loves us. He cherishes us. He'll never let go of us. And God, in his love, creates us. And then he watches us grow, and he watches what we do. I have an 11-year-old son at my house. And, uh, and we have this experience in the morning. He and I are the first ones to get up. And we go, and we have breakfast together. And uh, you know, I'll be eating eggs, and he'll be eating his cocoa pebbles. Uh, or I'll be eating the cocoa pebbles, he'll be eating eggs, whatever. And, uh, and I'll look over at him, and I'll think, I, I love that boy. I love that boy. I, I like him so much. And, you know, he'll be sitting there with his hair mesh, shoveling cocoa pebbles in his mouth, and then he'll look up at me. And I'll think, oh, we're, gonna have, we're about to have one of those father-son moments. This is going to be one of those good, he's going to say something that I'm going to remember forever. I turn on the cameras because I'm going to remember this. He's going to say something. And he'll look at me and go, you're getting older. <laughs> What's with that hairline? <laughs> and I say to him, boy, the only reason you're not six feet under the ground is because I love you so much. That's what God is saying here. I have not changed. I am your absolutely loving father. I will never let go of you. Nothing you can do can change that. And that's why I haven't destroyed you yet. That's what God is saying here. And it makes perfect sense. And honestly, that is truly the heart of God. That is truly, not the, not the rage. But look, look Jesus' Jesus' best parable was the parable of the lost son. It's this dad with two sons, and one of them is spoiled, and he goes and says, Dad, give me my half of the money. I don't care if you live or die. I want to go spend the money. And just gives his son the money. The son goes and blows the money on parties and prostitutes. And only when he's starving does he remember his dad. Only when he has no other choice does he think of going back. And he goes back to his father, just this pathetic mess. And, and his dad comes running out to meet him, which means his dad was waiting for him. His dad saw him because he was standing by the window. 
and he goes running out. And before the boy can get the apology out of his mouth, the dad throws his arms around him and takes him back. And that's our God. That's, that's Jesus. Like there's not a day of your life where he would not run out and throw his arms around you and take you back. There's nothing you've done. There's nothing you're doing right now. There's nothing you could think. There's nothing you could feel that would make him stop loving you. That's our God. And he doesn't change. And nothing's going to change. He says right here, for generations, you have disobeyed. You've run away. Come back to me. I haven't changed. That's why you're still alive. Right? These, we, God's people, are his middle school students, every single one of us. And it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how we talk to him. He'll always take us back. There's this uh, short story that uh, Ernest Hemingway wrote called The Capital of the World. And in the first paragraph, there's this little throwaway joke that Hemingway includes. It's not even the, the purpose of the story, but there's a throwaway joke about a father in Mexico uh, who had become, uh, kind of uh, gone through a broken relationship with his son. Something had gone on, so they were, they were separated. And the father publishes in the newspaper uh, a, an ad that says, Paco. Meet me at the hotel on Tuesday at noon. All is forgiven. Papa. And the joke is that Tuesday at noon at the hotel, there were 800 men standing around. Paco was a common name. But, it, but that's honestly, that's a true picture of humanity. That's who we are. We are a people who are lost and waiting for our father to say, all is forgiven. Come home. And that's Malachi's word. That's God's word. You've turned away. You've done all kinds of things. You've stolen from other people. You are clearly disoriented in this world. You're dizzy. You're not seeing things the way they really are. You're not seeing that I made you. You're not seeing that I love you. You're not seeing that I want you back. Come back to me. And then he continues. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? So they say, what are we supposed to do? If we've run away from you, what do you want? And God says, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? So you see there's this dialogue. God says, you've run away from me, come back. And they say, how are we supposed to come back? And he goes, well, you're stealing from me. And they say, how are we stealing from you? And here it is. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, tithe is the word for 10%. In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This was the practice of the Hebrew people taught by God. Take the first 10% of your crops, because they were all farmers. Take the first 10% of your crops. Take the first 10% of your herds and bring them and give them in the temple. Because the Hebrew people were, were designed for worship. And worship was the center of their community. And the purpose of the tithe was to keep a vibrant house of worship in the middle of the community. Don't rob God. Bring the tithe to the storehouse. Then he says, test me in this. Try it out and see if it works. This is the only place in all the Bible that God invites people to test him. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Uh, most likely this is a reference to rain because they're farmers. And so the idea that, that if you respond to God, if you honor God, if you obey God, God will open up the heavens and pour out rain on their crops, that you'll survive, that you'll thrive. Test and see if I don't do that, God says. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. 
Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, uh, tithing or giving 10% of your income, this is, this is a, a, a habit that God instilled in the Hebrew people. It's not a law. For we who follow Jesus, this is not a law. You don't earn God's love. You don't, you don't get a perk in heaven. It's not a rule. It's the way we're made. It, we're designed to be people of thankfulness and a people who give. Because if you're not thankful, you're going to feel like the world is stealing from you and you're going to steal back. You're going to hold on to whatever you can. But if you realize that God made you, that God loves you, and that God's with you, you have the freedom to open up your hands. And, and that's the God we worship. Uh, so this is a, a teaching for people who believe in God. If you're new this morning, if you're, uh, if you're just checking out the church, if you're not sure as God, there, God is there, this, isn't, this doesn't apply to you. This isn't everybody out there who's visiting, you're supposed to give. And you notice, we don't ever at this church ask people to give out of guilt. That's why we collect the offering before the sermon, right? You feel as guilty as you want. We're not going to try to get your money, right? But, but, but honestly, this is how God says you're made. You're, you're made for thankfulness. And when you're made for thankfulness, you live in generosity. Uh, I started tithing when I, was in, uh, when I was about 17 years old, and I was building a lawn mowing empire. It wasn't a job, it was an empire. All up and down the street, building a lawn. And, and I started giving 10, 10%. Uh, at that stage of my life, and I've, and I've kept it up all the way along. Um, and after I tithe, then I go and I do things like I support a kid in the Philippines through Compassion International, and I'm helping that kid grow up and providing for that kid. And that's, that's how we're made. That's what we're made for. That's not what most Christians do. Most Christians, on average, according to the studies, give 2 to 3% of their income, and then they say to the church, now, it's your job to go care for the poor. I gave it to you. You go give it to somebody else. That's, that's not the biblical model of tithing. You're not supposed to give a pittance of what's, what's left over and then tell the church to go spend it on somebody else. The, the goal of the tithe was to keep a thriving house of worship in the middle of the community. And we need to give God what's right, not what's left. We need to give God what's right to give, not what's left over when we're done. This is God's challenge to the people. You're robbing me. If you want to know how to come back, live like you really believe in me. Live like you really trust me. And then, by, by the way, thanks to all of you who do support kids through, uh, through Compassion International and through World Vision. We've had both of those organizations here to put out sponsorship, and I know a lot of you picked up kids. Just, right now, just remind me, through a show of hands, how many of you are supporting a kid somewhere else in the world through one of those organizations? How many of you are supporting? Oh, good for you. Look at that. All those hands. That's great. Thank you for doing it. And thank you for all of you who went and made Operation Christmas Child Boxes. We collected over 225, more were coming in this morning, over 225 boxes, and those are gifts that are going to go to children in developing nations who might not otherwise get a Christmas gift this, this Christmas. So good job for doing that. If you'd like to help with our homeless shelter, that's coming up in the, in the coming month. We're going to do two different nights where we serve dinner to 200 people. Uh, I'd love to have you help with that. The first night is almost full, but there's still room. If you go to uh, reallife.la backslash shelter, uh, we need people to show up to volunteer. We still have a few spaces on the first night and then the second night. Uh, and we need people to bring groceries because we're going to cook food for 200 people. Um, and thank you for all of you who have already signed up for that because that's such a great thing. That makes, my, that makes my heart happy because it means, we're living, it means we're living clearly. It means we're living thankfully. It means we know that God is taking care of us. 
Uh, and that's how we're designed. We're not designed to live lives of anxiety. We're designed to live lives faithfully. So I've started uh, teaching my kids uh, a rule. And if you have kids or grandkids, this is a good rule for you to teach your kids. Uh, I teach my kids the 80-10-10 uh, rule. Do you know this one? 80-10-10. Uh, when you make money, when my kids do chores, they set up the lemonade stand on the corner, you know, when they make money, 10% of their income goes into savings because you never know when you'll need it. That's a good financial rule. 10% goes into savings. 10% goes to charity. 10% goes to show that we're thankful for what God has done for us. 80% is then yours to use wisely. And wisely does not mean self-indulgently. It means wisely. But 80% is yours to use wisely. And that's a good rule that I teach my kids. And honestly, setting in your heart that habit of setting aside a gift that shows God you believe in him and you're thankful for him, it's just a good spiritual exercise. I saw that in an amazing way recently. I was down in, in Mexico with a, a little circle of about 10 people from our church here, and um, uh, I've told you that there's a pastor down there planting churches, starting churches. He set out a goal of planting 50 churches, and in 12 years, he's already planted 37. I mean, he's having an amazing impact down there. They go in and they literally build the church from the ground up. They build a house next to it. And then he appoints a pastor who moves into the house and pastors the church. It's this incredible ministry. They're at 37 and they're going to 50. And we were down there. And I'm sorry I couldn't invite everybody. I needed a little group to go down there and test the waters first. But about 10 of us went down. And we finished painting this church that they had built. And we uh, bought lunch for 30 kids in the neighborhood. Because if you buy lunch for 30 kids in the neighborhood, you are then the church for that neighborhood. And I looked at, at lunchtime, I looked at these 30 kids, many of whom might only have one meal a day, and the church was providing for them. Um, and you provided for that. Your gifts provided for that lunch. And, uh, and, and I, I thought about what this church had and what this church needed. And I started talking to their, their pastor down there. And um, the, the church doesn't even have running water yet. They built a bathroom, but they can't, they can't there's no running water uh, across the street, I saw something that I had never seen in these neighborhoods before. I saw a fire hydrant. And for all the times I've been down there, I've been down there dozens of times in these neighborhoods building houses. I've never seen a fire hydrant on one of these streets before. Dirt streets, you know, there's, it's, it's, there's, there's nothing there. They have few resources. And now there's a fire hydrant because they put running water under the ground. But the church, just across the street, still doesn't have running water because it costs $500 to connect the church to the water line. And they don't have $500 to do it with yet. So they got these bathrooms that they're building and no water in the bathrooms. And with that in mind, that church, about once a month, scrounges together whatever resources they can. And they travel further south into Mexico to communities that are poorer than theirs, to farming communities that have nothing. And they go and they minister to people who live in worse poverty than them. If they can do that in their poverty... Can we not do that in our wealth? That's a church that's, that's a church that's set right. Like they're oriented. They understand the world. God made them and loves them and cares for them. And out of their thankfulness, they go and care for others. If they can do that in their poverty, can we not do that in our wealth? God calls us to, to set ourselves right in this world, to remember that he made us, that he designed us in love and care and intention, that we are not accidents. And he is with us at every moment, he's with us right now, caring for every single step along the way in our lives. And when we realize how deeply we're loved, it sets us free to open up our hands and to let go of the things we try to grab hold of in this world. That's how we are made to be. 
It all comes from that relationship with our Father. It all comes from, from knowing how good He is. I remember when my daughter was, was little, when she was about five years old, uh, I, I saw the, the budding teenager in her at five years old. And I decided I'd start to prepare her for years that were coming. And so when she was five, I, I told her, I said, you know, honey, sometimes as girls get older, they, they feel like they're not pretty. And they feel like people don't like them. And they start to feel bad about themselves. And sometimes they do things that aren't good for themselves because they don't feel good about themselves. And she, at the age of five, looked at me and said, I don't get it. Why don't they just ask their papas? Because she was used to being told that she was pretty. And she was used to being cared for. All the things you try to take out of this world, all the things you try to steal in this world to compensate for that feeling of loss will not make you happy. We only find happiness in thanks. And we only find thankfulness in knowing our papa. So if you've come to a place in your life where, where you feel like the world has stolen from you, where you feel like the world is, is not yet right, let me take a minute and pray that you would know your dad. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for, for loving us, for loving us better than we could love ourselves. And I thank you for giving us lives in which we can be thankful, in which we can know that, that you are good to us and watching over us and caring for us. God, may we, we let go of the things that we're trying to, to steal from this world, the things we're trying to cling to, and instead, let go and release them to you. God, in the peace of our hearts right now, we ask you to come in and be our Lord and be our Savior. If there's anybody here who's never prayed it before, we pray, Jesus, forgive our sins, be our teacher and our guide, and make us new. Wash away those times that we have robbed you and run away from you and instead set us free. And God, as we turn in your direction, shine through us. Shine through us as we live lives of thanks so that the world might see and know Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.